so we're in the second half of this. Um, after an interruption of uh, the internet, we can uh, go back to what we were talking about in the sense of always looking at it in the here now and developing the skill. So um, starting to be on guard, which means starting to watch what kind of thoughts we have, whether we're on the cushion or not. This is really the waking up of the sati is to start investigating. Um, is the topic of my internal conversation right now wholesome or unwholesome? And if it's unwholesome, then we throw it out and we come back to this present moment. Or this pleasant moment is a way of saying it. Okay. That's, that's that developing that skill. Is to watch the mind on a regular basis. And if it is in the unwholesome, we throw that out and get back into the wholesome. Okay. And it's good to practice that often throughout the day. Um, a clear example would be that if someone is meditating, uh, sitting on a cushion, doing whatever practice they're doing, and practicing an hour a day, and then going about living their life normally, <clears throat> that means that um, at best they're removing hindrances one hour a day and letting hindrances run wild for 23. Yeah. Ah, that's part of the reason why people have slow practice. That really fast, faster practice is, is when we get the attitude, oh, I can feel good anytime I can remember to. It just has nothing to do with squatting on the floor, and it has everything to do with paying attention to what the mind is doing. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been, uh, I don't know, for some reason, I've just been trying to keep it to cushion or to, like, keeping it to whenever I sit down and try to meditate. I know when we first started talking, it was like, I was super excited and jazz. And was just trying to do it all throughout the day, like every day, just like trying to be like, oh, I noticed it, I'm going to take a deep breath. And then for some reason, it's like, no, I need to like make sure I'm doing it right. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it confined to the cushions. But yeah. Um, mm hmm. And so um, basically, um, if we're looking at it from skill development, we need to get secluded from the world. Uh, because um, it's hard for people to recognize how influenced we are by the outside world. Yeah. But this is one of the reasons why the Buddha would have his guys to get away from the world, to go into seclusion to find a place of uh, uh, solitude. This is the right way of beginning practice, is first we get secluded from the world, and then we get secluded from the world that we carried around with us. Okay, but so it won't do any good to try to stay in the world and do this like that? You have get away from it, but you can, okay, let us say right, right here where you're sitting, you can look around the room that you're in and you can see that room as the world. And now you can sit right where you are and close your eyes and you are secluded from that world. Oh, okay. I see All what right. you mean. Yeah. Yeah. 
We have to get away from the outside world. The Buddha used a, um, a simile um, about um, a log in a swamp. But where I come from, we had swamps, and we called it a bog. And so the, the story now is the log in the bog. Hmm. And the question is, uh, in the time of the Buddha, they had professional fire makers. Now we have uh, uh, lighters of all descriptions. Gas and butane and electric and easy to do, easy peasy. Back in the time of the Buddha, starting a fire was a big deal. Hmm. And so they had professionals to do it. So can a professional fire maker go into that bog and set that log on fire? Now that log has been in the bog. It's been in the bog. It's been uh, the tree fell over, like in the uh, the the swamps. You know, the cypress trees they fall over when they get. Have to get it out of the bog first, probably. You got to get it out of the bog first. That's exactly right. You cannot set that log on fire while it's in the water Mm -hmm. in the bog. But even if we drag it out on the shore, you still can't start it because it's still saturated with water. But if you leave the log out of the bog for a while, leaving it in the sunlight, both the sunlight and the gravity will begin to pull the water out of the top part of the log so that you can then set that log on fire. If that's the case, then that's the kind of way that we need to look at one's own practice is that we need to get away from it all on a regular basis to help start drawing, drying out. But the real, uh, the drying out process is literally now to get uh, the bog out of the log once the log is out of the bog. So okay. that means yeah. is that once you get the mind out of the world, you've now got to get the world out of the mind. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, I couldn't just expect to like stare at my email inbox with like meetings pouring in and expect the practice to work. I would have to, you know, close my eyes, don't look at my emails. Uh huh. Exactly. uh, Like whatever, like whatever the world is at that point. That's a that's a really good example nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) The inbox, right? Um. Some people even call it incoming. Incoming? Right. As is, as a, um, a reference to uh, the Vietnam War. Okay. Yeah. In, incoming means our artillery is coming. Mm-hmm. And we, we often look at emails like they were artillery about to blow up in our face. <laughs> in the sense of, oh, no, I don't want to see that. Uh, but what we're getting at here is to keep um going off alone and starting to practice so that we can get sati going but then we want to keep that sati going Hmm. we want to develop it as a habit and it all has to do around what kind of thoughts do we have do we have the kind of thoughts that are hindering us or do we have those kind of thoughts that are facilitating us are we having unwholesome or wholesome thoughts Mm-hmm. Okay, we're we're not uh, anywhere near the area of saying we want to remove thoughts, because if we 
if we can't, uh, let us say, herd them into good thoughts, how can we destroy them completely? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes that's, sense, right? that's, that's way too much. That's way trying too much. We're to destroy ahead. thoughts. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're just trying to, like, have wholesome thoughts. Mm-hmm. Herd and the so can... thoughts into the correct direction, not necessarily, like, yeah. Okay. So now... Uh, we practice sitting on, uh, uh, let us say, uh, in whatever posture, in whatever location or place, we want to do it in seclusion. To be able to get away from everything. Now that seclusion can be found almost anywhere uh, in a physical location, but it's also good to get out of town to get out of the noisy areas, to get into a quiet place. That's, that's good. That's part of getting away from it all. Because only when it's quiet on the outside can you really hear how noisy it is on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the qualities of it is, is that we can get in ourselves into seclusion so that we can begin to deal with all of that stuff that will come up one at a time, one at a time, and we can deal with it one at a time as it comes up if we have sati. And so we want to make sure that we can wake up enough to get bright enough so that we can see these thoughts as unwholesome. If where does you mentioned the bodily awareness um, mm-hmm. being in reference to the first sauna? Where does that fit into this? Relax. That's where it's so on the exhale. Relax. Relax. Okay. The okay. relaxing helps you be more aware of the body. Well, um, being aware of the body helps it relax. Also. Oh, that's true. Because then you can see the tension and you can let uh-huh. the tension go. You can't, it's hard to and, let. And when we can allow the mind to relax out of an unpleasant state into a happy, pleasant state then that will help the body relax. Hmm. Um, That because of the formal definitions that um, abound uh, for first jhana that have five factors in it, uh, the factors being first, free from hindrances, which means we have wholesome thoughts. That's the number one item. If we have are having wholesome thoughts, then that wholesome thought can allow us to have pleasure. There is a sutta that actually goes in the direction of this. Um, he's, the sutta talks about that there are five ways to reach the first jhana. And the fifth way, the last on the list, is the way that most of us are practicing meditation. Because if we're all in seclusion uh, from the world on our own, then naturally what will be coming up is what we're in the habit of having come up, and that's often hindrances. Okay? There, are, there is another way of practice completely. And that way of practice is basically what you and I are doing right now. And that is talking about the Dhamma. Mm. That if a teacher and a student are talking about the Dhamma and the student gains inspiration 
from that Dhamma. I can do this as that inspiration. Then in that moment, while that student is feeling inspiration, he can feel relaxed, he can feel comfortable, he can feel sukha, and he can go right into the first jhana, right in that conversation. But oh no, uh, it can happen the other way around. And that is, is that while the Dhamma is being taught, the teacher can gain inspiration from the Dhamma. He also can fall, uh, or not fall, but allow his mind to go into a state of, of comfortableness. His body is relaxed. He's enthusiastic about it. And he can go into the first jhana. The first jhana is a very, very natural state for people to fall into. Or go into. I'm not mm-hmm. sure of the word fall. But it, it can seem like that. Um, and when people look at Buddhism and the teachings of Buddhism as if it had anything to do with magic or religion, then we'll put this first jhana way high, way far away. But in fact, it's actually something that can be developed and we can keep doing it and practicing going into that state of being sabai, being comfortable, being happy, being contented. And so by practicing over and over again, we begin then to um, gain that skill of going into the jhana, which means that we can throw that stuff out. Oh, I don't have to think about Aunt Susie dying. I don't have to think about the argument that I had with Aunt Jane. I can just sit here in this moment, in the here now, and be comfortable. So throwing those thoughts about Aunt Jane and and Granny or whatever out of the mind is getting into the first jhana. All we now need to do is to learn to sustain that, which means now we're going to go into a... um, a different kind of alert mode, and we normally in Buddhism call this guarding, to begin to guard the mind. But now we got something very special going on in the sense that we're going to guard the mind uh, with the object of sustaining the way that we feel. So any kind of thoughts that we have, happy thoughts, joyful thoughts, thoughts of I can do this, thoughts about how wonderful and nice this present moment is, Thoughts about, in fact, in the realm of the Four Noble Truths. Ah, this is suffering. Or, ah, this is the end of suffering. All right, now I'm free from it. Right now I am sabai. Right now I am not worried or hassled or bothered or uh, being discomforted by anything. Everything right now is good. Okay. These are the kind of thoughts that are wholesome. Another kind of thought that would be wholesome would be the investigation in the sense of, how's my sati? How's my investigation going? How's my joy? How are my jhana factors operating right now? What's my effort like? Do I have the right attitude? You darn right I've got a good attitude. (laughs) Okay, so these are the kind of thoughts to have as opposed to the kind of thoughts that take us out of the state. Mm. Those would be thoughts that would be unwholesome. So when the mind begins to wander away from the here now, and we can catch it, then that's the guard. We can guard the mind. 
Uh, one of the examples that I use, uh, though it's kind of funny one, um, doesn't seem quite related to the Dhamma, is the bar bouncer. Okay, N not the local pub where people come and go, but we're talking about one that's a disco or a big place. It's got um, uh, um, entertainment and it's the place to go. All right. Mm -hmm. to be dressed well enough. Are you drunk already? Um, uh, do, do we want you in our club or not? Okay, and so some people are turned away and other people are allowed in. But it's also possible that someone did get past the guard, get past the door, gets inside, and now is causing a ruckus. Perhaps he's been there for a while and now he's gotten drunk and he's making some noise and it's time for the bouncer to go grab him and throw him out. So we want to have both of these. In fact, what you could say is, is that uh, the skill of getting into first jhana is the skill of grabbing somebody by the nap of the neck and throwing them out of the bar. Yeah, so we we need to like prune the garden or like we need to keep weeds from popping up in addition to like getting rid of the ones that are already there. Right, the get rid of those ones that, that sneak in, in when we're not looking. Out. And yeah. then we are, and once we throw that guy out, now we're going to stand at the door and guard to make sure that whoever comes in is going to be wholesome and part of our establishment. Yeah. So these are the wholesome thoughts that we're going to allow in. And the wholesome thoughts are the kind of wholesome thoughts that are keep us in this state of joy, this state of relaxation, this state of happiness. Hmm. And so this is actually the practice that we need to, uh, to work on in the sense of sitting on the floor in meditation we would be more developing the skill of sustaining. So we get into the state and then we work, um, um, perhaps work's not the right word, but we have the enthusiasm and the intention to keep watching what kind of thoughts there are to make sure that they're wholesome. Because the mind has, Freud talked about it in the sense of um, free association, that this thought, comes up will trigger the next thought hmm. and then the next thought well that next thought that third thought may not be wholesome so what we're doing is we're beginning to track these thoughts that arise naturally and say wait a minute that was not wholesome out it goes let's come back uh into the world of wholesome that's uh possibly the right way to practice on the cushion to where the right way to practice throughout the day is uh, the bouncer who has to take the thoughts that are already in the mind out. In other words, I'm already sitting here thinking about, I don't want to open that email because that guy's going to yell at me, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, so you're saying, on the cushion, trying to work on sustaining, or sustaining, uh, like, Prashtana, but, like, out of that, you know, we can notice, be like, oh, like, notice somebody like sneaked in or like some bad thoughts sneaked in, you can toss it out. You can be more of that bouncer. You can just choose to like close our eyes, like look around us, be like, okay, I'm in this room, but okay, now I'm. Right. I oh. can throw that stuff out and I throw can come out. back to a really nice state. 
and and we develop that in the in the sense also of the right attitude of wow this stuff is so nice i'm glad that i'm doing this now okay yeah and so that'd be wholesome we can like look at our investigation or like our investigation is going to be wholesome um I guess pleasant sensations in the body, like oh, this is a nice in breath. That's mm -hmm. positive. That's okay to think about. The yes. nice relaxing feeling you get. That's mm -hmm. wholesome. These are all things that we can choose to focus on or like look at when we're doing our meditation that are wholesome that we don't have to worry about being like unwholesome. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. In the Dhamma and like things we've talked about, or or like oh, this is suffering. I can not be in suffering or mm -hmm. or this is dukkha but right. i know there's a road out yeah okay now as we um develop the practice we begin to uh look at things more and more from the aspect of the four noble truths uh, in in the sense of every thought that comes up we can have that criteria is this dukkha or is it not dukkha if it's if it's not dukkha it's good if we can have this one if it's dukkha out okay so there's your first noble truth this is dukkha all right and um we also will begin to understand fairly easily over uh, a practice time of that not only is these kind of thoughts dukkha, but we understand why they're dukkha. In other words, wanting something that we don't have is dukkha. Why is wanting something that we don't have dukkha? And we begin to look at that and recognize, well, the reason why wanting something I don't have is dukkha is because without it, I'm somehow incomplete. I'm not good enough. I'm missing something. Yeah. I want it. And I won't be happy until I get it. Until we recognize, wait a minute, that's suffering right there. Getting it is not the end of suffering, but rather, why is there any suffering? The suffering is the wanting. We want something. And so we begin to understand the second noble truth also is not only is these, these thoughts unwholesome, there's a why, an underlying foundation. Why aren't they unwholesome? Why, why is this suffering? What is the cause of this as, as it's suffering? And then we can look at it from the perspective of, oh, well, if I throw that out, then I'm free from suffering and allow ourselves to be. That's something that I find very interesting is that over many, many years and hearing many, many different teachers of Buddhism, only Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talked about the third noble truth. It's almost like that they list it because it's an item on the list, but nobody really ever talks about it. Mm -hmm. But in fact, in our meditation, it should be um, possibly the number one item on the list, not for a long-term goal, but the immediate goal. The immediate goal is let's get into Dukkha Naroda, let's get into that third noble truth, freedom from suffering. Ah, this is so nice, I'm so glad that I'm out of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is something that we want to pay attention to. Could you repeat that, the third noble truth? I... The third noble truth is 
um, uh, this is freedom from suffering, or this is not suffering. The first noble truth is this is suffering. The second noble truth is this is the cause for suffering. And then the third noble truth is the, is the freedom from suffering. This is not suffering. This is sukha. This is not dukkha. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and, this, and we're talking about it in the sense of this present moment and your experience of this present moment is pleasurable, not painful. Mm-hmm. That's the third noble truth. But everybody stops it too. <laughs> Or they the don't people, ever they ignore it. They don't, don't they don't they don't give themselves that um let's say that investigation. Mm. The investigation is yes, this is in fact freedom from suffering. You don't see it anywhere. It's gone. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean I myself get stuck on the like this is suffering. <laughs> I, get, I don't get stuck on the, this isn't, this is great. This, this isn't is suffering. Not suffering. This is yeah. not it. Right. I'm out of it. Right. Always now. get okay. stuck looking around. It's like, oh, everything's so scary and like <laughs> spooky in here. Uh-huh. Well, that's the loser's attitude. Yeah. The right attitude is really, um, this is nice. No suffering here. We've won this one. Dang. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's funny. All right. So this is a big part of our practice uh, of bringing in these Four Noble Truths um, into the sustaining of our, uh, of our practice because now the kind of thoughts we're going to have are the kind of thoughts about the Four Noble Truths in the sense is, how is my investigation? How is my attitude? Is this a winner's attitude? Darn right it is, okay? How's my effort? It's good enough. How's my shati? I remember, I remember, I remember. Okay, so this is the way that we work with the Four Noble Truths as wholesome thoughts. Okay, yeah, this isn't like a crime show investigation where you're like, oh my gosh, it's so awful in here. No, 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 no. This this is a dumb investigation. (laughs) This is a dumb investigation. Look how nice things are. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so this is the way to practice. Now, yeah. deeper, going deeper into the Four Noble Truths, we can now, or uh, eventually in our conversations, we can go into the aspects, most particularly of the Second Noble Truth. That's when things get really complicated, all booties and everything, in the sense of the five aggregates and the 12 steps of Petita Samuppada. But the 12 steps of Paticca Samuppada is nothing but, a, 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 let us say, a detailed investigation of the second noble truth. Mm-hmm. You can see it all in there. You know, you have in the second noble truth, you have the cause of suffering is greed, ill will, and ignorance. And guess what? All of that is right there in the teaching of Paticca Samuppada. You start in ignorance. We start building a foundation of ignorance. And so in the present moment, when we perceive things, we perceive them based upon our old past of likings and not likings and ignorance. And so what we come up with in this present moment is not often actual reality. It's our made up reality based upon our own past. Yeah, that's yeah, very true. And so our... And what that means is, is that what we make of the world is filled with our own ignorance. The world is or the, the reality of the senses 
the reality is just a reality. Mm-hmm. But what we perceive of reality is based upon a bunch of crap that we've had added to it over the years. And we'll talk about this. I'm just giving you just a very short introduction to Petitu Samapada so that the feelings that come up will naturally be the kind of feelings of, oh, I like it, I want it. Or if I don't like it, I don't want it. And that's what leads into suffering. Hmm. Okay, so you can see, in fact, that the Paticca Samuppada, that huge teaching that's so powerful and profound in Buddhism, is actually nothing but an expose of the second noble truth. And so when we say this is the cause of suffering, we're talking about something that's fairly complicated, but once we understand the mechanism, then we can see it in action. Yeah. And we begin to understand how the mind works itself. But again, we're doing it through the perception of the, or the perspective of the Four Noble Truths. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right, so the Four Noble Truths is everything of our practice. And we can get into as much detail as we want about each of those four, but it's all derivative. Right, it's all derivative, exactly. And it all has back to do with this basic practice that we're talking about of let's keep the mind wholesome. But eventually we'll, we'll begin to look into where did all that unwholesome crap come from? Mm, we will look at that, but the real point is that we don't even care where it came from. Out, okay? <laughs> in other words, when somebody uh, comes in <laughs> to our bar and he is loaded down with grease, covered with grease, we don't care what kind of grease it is, we want him out of here. <laughs> but there will be a time when we uh, want to actually inspect the various kinds of grease to see um, how we got greasy, I guess. Yeah. All right. So this is the second noble truth is where is this, what, what causes this stuff? How does it come in? But for right now, in the beginning, the important thing is we're not, we don't care where it came from. We just want it out of here. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so, yeah, this week, what I can do, you know, this isn't just on the cushion. This is all the time. It's like, if I notice something, it's snuck in past the bouncer, kick it out. And Mm -hmm. my practices on the cushion are going to help me learn to, like, sustain that feeling of sati. Mm -hmm. Um, That whenever... I feel like there's a pile of stuff in my head. It's really just one thing. It's always one thing at a time. One sure, maybe it's something different, and maybe it looks to like my when I'm not awake. Maybe it looks like a pile of things, but it's not. Right, it's not. It's just one thing at a time. It's one thing at a time. And you can deal, and you can deal with it, and you yeah, can and deal, I can deal with it. I can kick it out. Um, yeah, that's a lot to do. <laughs> a lot to work on. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just talking to you today, I. I haven't taken a lot of deep breaths today, but in our conversation, I'm just feeling a lot happier. <laughs> it's nice to take some deep breaths and talk about <laughs> Dhamma. I feel a lot better already. Excellent. I told you you would. Yeah. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, the Dhamma does that. When we start thinking about and contemplating the Dhamma and looking at things like that, the hindrances are gone. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. They Isn't are. that great? Yeah, that's that's marvelous. And so that's part of the teaching of the Buddha. Let's start thinking about the Dhamma because when we're thinking about the Dhamma, there's no suffering. 
Yeah. All right. Well, good. We'll finish up now. And awesome. uh, well, thank you very much. Yes, Clint. Thank you for calling. This has been a good talk. I've really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Can I ask you one more question? Like, I guess like I have a hard time finding the definitions of words and stuff that you talk about. I guess like when I go to Wikipedia, it seems like they're always kind of like slightly different. Are there any like glossaries or anything that like you trust the translations on? Um, actually, there is one sutta that I have done online with uh, uh, Chen Tan and also another one that hasn't been published yet. But in there, I point out how uh, to bring up Dhamma Sutra, uh, Dhamma Central uh, Suttas with Subato so that you can do a line by line, English and Pali and English and Pali, and then you can roll over or point to with the mouse and the Pali dictionary will pop up. Oh, awesome. Very awesome, exactly. I we yeah. didn't have that thirty years ago. We didn't have that, fancy. but now we have it. We can actually, um, and I do that a lot. So, uh, for serious students, when they say, "Well, which translation is the best?" I say, "Well, none of the translations are good, but Subato's uh, translations. At least we can go." line by line, a line of English, a line of Thai, a line of English, a line of Thai, and that is so helpful because then we can actually look at the Pali uh, to see what's really uh, going on there. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, I guess I just, I don't think I can could really understand, well, like, um, yeah, I have no, like, I couldn't just sit down and read a translation. That wouldn't make any sense to me. I'd interpret it wrong, and then I'd come back to you with a bunch of garbage. Um, but yeah, I guess just like sometimes there's a lot of words that we say, or that you say to me, and I'm like, ooh, I'm trying to remember these, and I'll like try to go look them up, but then I can't find the right ones. But yeah. That's that's all right. There's, okay, there, yes. Um, basically, just hearing these words over and over again in context, and they'll seek him. Okay, I mean, awesome. look at as long as you're fine with it. Look <laughs> at all of the poly you already know. Yeah, I, mean, I got, like got a couple. And Sukha and Pity and uh, um, a lot of, you know, Sita, Manu, all these kinds of poly words, they, they seep in. Okay, right. awesome. Like, well, yeah, as long as you're fine with the conversation. Um, yeah, just, um, yeah, just as long as you don't mind correcting me sometimes. Awesome. The reason that I would say it like that is because often the uh, translations are misleading in many ways. Yeah. Um, uh, possibly the, the one thing that you could say that is the most interesting is, is that uh, in the Pali, the language itself and the way that the people used it back in the time of the Buddha was is that they used magical language to describe ordinary things. But nowadays, when we hear magical language, the way we look at magical language is, is that magical language is describing magical things. Yeah, there's like a lot of cultural difference there that like... Big cultural difference. So uh, things like uh, the word deva would be um, considered um, a word of magical, and that would be a deva would be a god or, or something. Yeah. 
But in fact, uh, in the suttas, they'll call a king or an aristocrat a deva. Right to his face or in public or in... Oh, well. that's, the, that's just the kind of word that is used. They use magical language to describe ordinary things. Hmm. And another one is, is that then the translators will also use magical language to translate things that are actually quite ordinary in that in their own language. Yeah, and I've seen that in the sense that it will say uh, this, that or another. And the other the way they translate it would be uh, reborn in some clan. But the Pali dictionary doesn't use reborn in some clan. It uses the word. Um, a clansman. And so the rebirth is not in the sutta, that's in the translator. Another place where I've seen it would be like the word um, uh, jiva, which is uh, in the French language. Uh, we have viva la France. Okay, this viva la or life. And yet, that can be translated by the by uh, modern translators as the word soul, where in fact it's not soul, it's just life. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and like okay. all those little, like, mistranslations, I'm sure they add up and create a lot of problems. Oh, they add up, they really, really keep adding up and adding up and adding up. Uh, another one would be using the word samati and translating it as absorption. In other words, they're taking an ordinary word in Pali and putting it into highfalutin English. Okay. Another one would be immersion. Immersion sounds like drowned, like when somebody's immersed in, uh, in samadhi, then they're... But you're beginning to understand, wait a minute, this first jhana that we're talking about is not immersion, it's not going deep, it's waking up, it's going up. It's getting bright. Yeah, whenever I hear purification, or whenever I hear purification, I, I think in my head like Dante's Inferno, or like uh -huh. some hellscape of like the, you know, the sin burning away. And like, uh -huh. I don't know what the real translation or like whatever word they were going for, but I don't know, whenever I hear it, it just like doesn't <laughs> sit right exactly. with me. Exactly, so you could think of purification as nothing more than just uh, freedom. Yeah. Uh, or um, to purify the mind sounds highfalutin, but really all we're talking about is let's not have unwholesome thoughts. Let's have wholesome thoughts. Yeah. That's all it means. Awesome. Well, okay. I won't sweat the words too much then. <laughs> I won't try to go Don't worry like, too much about the words. Right. Um, I'll pick them up as we go along. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds great to me. Feel like I've got a lot to think about, or this week a lot of wholesome well, thoughts. Maybe not so much uh, to think about, and just something intentionally to do. Something to do. Yeah. Got to, mm. Yes. With with strong intention, with enthusiasm. I'm not going to let that stuff bother me. Out you go. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. See you. Okay. Bye bye. bye.